0: So those of you who are listening, I know, it uh, welcome, by the way, uh, to our webcast and service. I made mention in the announcements that we would start the Bible study at 3. We'll actually start it at 2.30, and hopefully we can get out a little earlier and uh, miss the, the heart of the storm. Uh, that'll begin, so, so uh, we should finish the service up by a little after 3. Uh, I'm sorry, look at the clock wrong. A little after 2 and start the Bible study at 2.30. Bring your lunches as well into the fellowship room as, as fast as you can. Don't don't wait for two thirty. Just get set up and so on, and we'll start the study promptly at three at uh, two thirty. Uh, I, I I gave uh, our, our bulletin lady the uh, the schedule for the spring holy day, so that's not in the bulletin. If you want to reference that at all, but uh, we're going to try to keep everything here. Uh, Passover Friday night, March twenty-six at seven thirty. Uh, sunset's actually 7.30, 6 or 7 that night, so uh, we'll probably just wait a few minutes, and uh, if anybody gets in late, we'll have some time extra for them. But we won't start until after sunset. First day of Unleavened Bread will be that following Sunday, March 28th, uh, one service at 1.30. Last day of Unleavened Bread, two services on that Sabbath, the following Sabbath, is on April 3rd, also here. Services at 10.30 and 2.30. And then Pentecost will be Sunday, May, uh, May 16th. Also here, two services, and all those all that, that will be in the afternoon. Since this hall is in use uh, that Sunday morning, we can meet here at 1230 like we did a couple of years ago, and the second service at 330 with a lunch in the fellowship hall afterwards. Again, all that's in the bulletin if you need to access that going forward. Our next Challenger study uh, uh, will be on February 27th. We just had a very good discussion on uh, some of the terminology in the scriptures and how we should understand them. Uh, So we'll continue that discussion February 27th, and our next uh, Council of Elders or Council of Advisors meeting locally has been moved to March 13th. We need to meet once in the spring, and so we'll do that. A very pleasant announcement before I start the sermon. William Martin and Julie Reed and David and Kayleen Robinson are happy to announce the engagement of their children, Cody Martin. And Crystal Robinson. Crystal lives in Australia and due to COVID, both have not been able to travel to be together. Uh, it would be, it would appreciate, they, we would appreciate if you would pray that God would open up doors so that they can be together. I talked to Cody briefly about this earlier and he said he actually, he proposed, uh, online and some kind of online connection. Uh, they had a, a date scheduled because she's still in Australia, and he's trying to get there, but can't because of the COVID stuff. Um, uh, and I'm not sure if the vaccine could help with that even. But uh, in, either, in either case, he proposed online. or very cute. You can talk to him about it later. We have been, uh, uh, for a couple of months now, been focusing on the mysteries of God. We've had six sermons on this concept, uh, and we've only gotten through the first five. Uh, uh, we've been learning how God has privileged his elect. Uh, but also with a responsibility to understand his mysteries in this end time. And not all professing Christians do that or understand them all. In all there are fourteen truths that God has hidden from all of humanity, uh, but has revealed to to those who respond to his call and become part of his uh, beloved in the body of Christ. He teaches us them. We have seen in I think the second sermon that we had, we covered the first one was an overview. Part two we saw how God uh hides himself and why he hides himself from the vast percentage of humanity that even hearing the message they can't conceive or understand. We'll touch upon that again today. Uh, How his will and wisdom can only be understood by those who are immersed in him. Uh, We also saw how even Christ himself can only be truly known by those in whom he resides that are practicing his righteousness. Apart from those, those things remain a mystery. Uh, uh, to mankind. Um, this will be the sixth sermon in the series, and it involves the, the message that Jesus brought that is so overlooked by so many. Let's go to the book of Mark here to start, Mark chapter 1, and we'll read verses verse 1, firstly, firstly and then we'll skip to verses 14 through 15. So the gospel according to Mark starts with this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is making reference to the entirety of his work here, and it calls it the gospel or the message of Jesus Christ. Not just a message about him, but a message that he brought specifically. He makes mention of that also verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of what? Himself? No, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the government of God. Um... In verse 15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, largely because he was king of the kingdom, he was there with them. And he says, repent and believe in the gospel, something that needs to be understood through repentance and belief uh, so that it doesn't remain a mystery. Now, many believe in the good news about Jesus Christ, but few know of the good news that he brought, the gospel or the good news of the coming kingdom of God. We uh, had um, Kingdom of God seminars here going back about three, four years now, I think. And we only had about three individuals come during the six-part session where we summarized the message of the Kingdom of God. And, but I, I heard from a lot of our young people that were here at the time saying that that was very, very helpful for them because they never heard it all strung together, all put together like that before. Many of those messages came uh, from headquarters and they allowed us to modify them, but uh for the most part, that that gospel message was preached, and the three individuals who came either didn't hear it, certainly didn't respond to it. And that leaves you a question in your mind. When you truly understand where we're at in the end time, why Christ had to come and die for the sins of humanity, includes all the humanity, and the idea, the concept that God's kingdom is coming to their earth. why isn't there a response from some, from the vast majority, but there is from others. Um, I'm not saying, when I say that Others preach a gospel about Jesus, but not the gospel or the good news that he brought, that Christ should not be preached. Obviously, he's the king of the kingdom. He should be preached. I'll just give you a couple of sermon or, or uh, references here in the sermon notes. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, Paul said that he preached Christ crucified, uh, though many could not understand his message beyond the person of Christ. Because we are what we do. Uh, to to a large extent, or maybe we do what we are. Maybe that's better said that way. And to understand why he did that, why he did what he did, why he came and what he did while he was here, would require people to understand who he is, and they can't get through that. They can't connect those two uh, for a good reason. Revelation 19 and verse 16. In Revelation 19, 16, many call Christ King of Kings, And Lord of Lords, but know little about his rule as coming to this earth, and uh, as king and as the noble Lord of a ruling uh, government over all of the earth and all of humanity. Philippians 1 as well, Philippians 1 verses 15 and 16. Paul said that some preached Christ out of selfish ambition. I find that amazing that an individual could be only interested in their own selfish gain. But what they were preaching must have been accurate enough for Paul to be pleased with the fact that Christ was at least being preached. Um, one must wonder what those preachers failed to understand, though, about whom they were preaching when they, they were doing so out of all wrong motivations. So Christ should be preached. Certainly, as Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, he is the focal point of the message. But too many only see the story of his human life without the message that he brought. Uh, And and, uh, it remains kind of out of their view. Look at uh, Mark chapter 4 here. And we'll read verses 10 through 12. Mark 4 verses 10 through 12. Uh, But when he was alone, he had just uh, uh, shared the parable of the sower uh, with a, a broader group. And now he's talking solely with the 12. He says, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, It has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So notice this. This has to be given. It has to be revealed. It's not something that you can just dig into. No matter how bright your mind is or how studious you are, you won't understand it unless it's been given to you to understand. And it had been given to the Twelve. He says, But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive... And hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Some were capable of understanding that work of forgiveness, even receiving that forgiveness. Some were not. I've had discussions with people before who have a hard time understanding how God could have forgiven them. And I said, uh, I said, did you go through the process that Christ described—repentance, belief, you know, baptism, and so on? He said, yeah, they did. Uh, they went through that process. Um, and they believed that God had forgiven them. I said, then why, if you believe God has forgiven you, why can't you forgive yourself? And they, they struggled to give a response. And I said, maybe you need to go back and reexamine the level of your repentance. Uh, if you, there's some baggage left over in you, remorse for your sins, uh, that's fine. But if you're letting that weigh you down or hold you back, did you really turn? Repentance isn't just stopping what you're doing. There has to be an about-face moving in the, in the other direction, and that's got to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that's and a very difficult thing to come to some realization for. The word used outside here in verse 11 is translated from the Greek word exo, E-X-O. And it means not belonging to one's group. Well, whose group is that? Is it our group? Or is it a group of individuals that God has called and elect him Elected and brought them to Christ. That's the group that's being referred to here. So Christ is, in mentioning those who are outside here, he's mentioning those whom God has not called, or he's called and they've answered poorly, have not been put into the elect, and have not gone through that process so that they can understand. And then they're, they're, they're just blind to it. The, the word exo is taken from the uh, Greek word ex, ex, which literally means origins. So those who are outside don't have the same origins; they don't have the same beginnings. Their process and understanding didn't happen the way it was supposed to, somehow, some way. Um, And that's who he's referring to here, versus those who are part of that community, part of those God called and led to uh, Christ. Look at Matthew 13 here. Let's see a sister account or parallel account: Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. Um, is what we'll read. He's talking here about the parable of the story. He says this in verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been give, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. There's, there seems to be an, a, a reception of something on the part of those who have, and an unwillingness to receive on the part of those who do not. Same message given, same warning, same invitation, but something missing in those who do not receive. And he will have abundance, those who have. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Over time, it's lost. It's not resting on any underpinnings of repentance and faith, immersion in the way of God, uh, the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. Those things didn't begin in those individuals who uh, Mark described as outside. Verse 13, Therefore speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. This is This is part of the description of why that message doesn't take hold it applies beyond just the, the message of the gospel of the kingdom, or the, I should say the good news of, of the kingdom of God, that gospel message. It goes to every aspect within scripture. Some of the ones we've talked about already and some of the ones that will come later as we go through this series. But there, there has to be a reception and a change within someone's heart, or an about face. Otherwise, it, the direction is still off. For the hearts of these people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have, have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. If they truly began that path on a faulty foundation. God would not be responsible in giving them more than what they could actually handle. I mean, if they get to the point in time where they truly receive that gift from above, God's Spirit and so on, and then turn away... Uh, Hebrews 6 talks uh, very unfavorably about those who go through that experience. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what is it that dulls so many hearts? What is it that stifles so many ears and closes so many eyes to the gospel of the kingdom of God? It's clearly laid out in the scriptures first by Christ, then by his apostles, and we here sit here and understand this, why is it so misunderstood by so many? Why does the gospel of the kingdom remain a mystery? I'd like to look at this in a at what we've always described as the elements of a kingdom. A kingdom always, always has a king. It always has territory. Number two, a place that is ruled by the king. A, a, a borders with that, that define the territory. A, a kingdom has laws that the that the kingdom function by, or the members of the kingdom function by, function by and uh, governing commerce, governing relationships, governing crime, and all these things. And then, lastly, it has subjects. All four of those. If we look at a kingdom from all four of those that perspective. We'll get an understanding of why some can't understand the the mystery of the gospel of the kingdom. Let's look at the kingdom, or the king first, the king. It is sadly ironic and a mystery that so many profess Christ as king while denying his sovereign reign as king. Let's go to John 17 here. John 17, we'll read verses 1 through 3. John 17, verse 1. This is at, obviously at the end of his, uh, his discourse to them the night of Passover. Uh, he said, uh, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, it's the prayer he's giving obviously to his Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him all, uh, uh given him authority over all flesh. Notice that. Jesus Christ has authority over all flesh whether they acknowledge him as king or not. The plan now is to get everybody on that page where everybody understands this, and this is a a matter of levels or stages. Um, You have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now notice how he describes eternal life. Verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is largely a uh, his commission was to enable human beings through the stages in the plan of God to know God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, that he sent. This largely has to do with teaching. Now, I've had great teachers, really good teachers in my life, and some poor ones. But I also sat in classes where I was not a very good student. It takes both. You could have the best teacher in the history of teachers teaching as eloquently and as beautifully as as any teacher has ever taught. But if I'm not listening, if I'm looking out the window, or I'm not taking notes, or nothing's being accomplished. There has to be a reception of what's going on. There have to be some, in this case, you could describe it as an antenna that's picking up the signal of the teaching. Without it, it just, it just airwaves. Right in this room right now, there are radio airwaves going all around us, Wi-Fi, everything else. But if you don't have a receptor, you don't know what's going on. Some are given that ability to receive, some are not. Now, God gave authority over all humanity to Jesus Christ, as it said here. The word authority is translated from the Greek word exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A. Notice that prefix, origins. Uh, it means power, rule, dominion jurisdiction that is the origin of those who follow this way of life who live it and who acknowledge Jesus Christ for all of his all of his abilities as king all of his authority as king some say they do but their behavior reflects something different this uh, sovereign reign was given to him to impart eternal life to all those the father gives him We know this is generated by God the Father. He's the one that puts in the hearts of minds those who will seek his Christ. We read that in John 6.44, John 6.65. Eternal life is expressed hereby uh, by knowing the only true God and the Christ he sent. That is eternal life. How well do you know the God the Father? How well does any of us know God the Father apart from the teaching of Christ and the ability to receive that teaching. How well do we know Christ himself? We just discussed a, a few weeks ago how Christ himself is a mystery to many who profess him. Because they're they're not part of that reception. They're not getting it. Some, we and this was prophesied as well, that some would profess Christ's authority, Jesus as Lord and his authority as king, while ignoring what he said. Look, let's look at that. Matthew 7. If you truly believe Jesus Christ is king of the kingdom of God, and that is your destination, whether you understand what that means or not, uh, if you believe Christ is king, why do you not do what he says? Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's There's a great deal in those three verses. I want you to note this in 23, verse 23, though. Note that he did not say he once knew them, and they fell away. That's a different category. He said that he never knew those who continue to practice lawlessness, who don't embrace his words, his teachings, his way of life, the direction of the kingdom of God. He was never their king, no matter what they said. Jesus' words reflected the will of his Father. As Lord and King of his kingdom, he expects his subjects to do what he says, right? If you were king of a kingdom and you said, subjects, please do this, wouldn't you expect them to do what the king said? It's his territories, his laws, you're his subjects, absolutely. All those who do not do that, he would not consider part of his kingdom or that they were actually acknowledging him as king regardless of what they said. Any choice outside of or in opposition to Christ's expressed will, which is the will of the Father, is an act of rebellion against the king. If you live within the kingdom, would God allow that in his kingdom? The Spirit of God is in his elect, but that gives us no authority, apart from our king, to decide you know, privately how we're going to interpret what he just said. Well, I know you think he just said this, but I think he just said this, so I'm going to do this. Yet that happens within professing Christendom all over the world. More and more, those who profess Christ as King are instead doing what is right in their own eyes. And brethren, the Church of God is not excluded from that. If you're truly watching it, you can see it all around. God's design for governance respects the presence of Christ and His elect and aligns, He aligns His ordained ministers to work collaboratively to lead and feed his flock with his word. That's what this is all about. We have fellowship, we have food, we have all kinds of things, but largely uh, for fellowship and for enjoyment and for coming together as brethren in Christ. But largely, this is about God delivering his message to you. Whoever comes to this lectern, whoever leads a Bible study that he appoints to do so. If we can't look beyond the teacher to the true teacher, the one who actually imparts that knowledge, we we struggle. God's will is not sought through some uh, coherent will of the people. A good leader is always going to want to know what's on his his members or the ones he's leading's minds. He's going to take opinions. He's going to listen. Uh, he wants everybody to be on the same page. He's going to work to make everything collaborative between the members and the the, the flock he's leading. Um, but there is no coherent will of the people. Even in human politics, this is recognized and understood. There's no such thing. We also do not seek the opinions of Christ's appointed leaders. We don't go to someone and say, tell me what to do. And and if they respond, because we think they are a minister of God, if they respond with, do this, we know they're not a minister of God. Because what they should do is point us to what God says in his word. And if they don't know it off the top of their head with an impromptu question, they should look it up and get back to us, because that's their job, Point you to your king. We don't seek the opinions of Christ's appointed leaders. And neither should they offer those opinions. We do not want our own perspective. We have a king. We want our king's perspective. If I gave you any other perspective as a servant of our king, I would not be fulfilling my job. I'd be in rebellion to his kingdom. And if we choose any of our personal opinions or another teacher because we like what they sound like or we like this particular approach a little bit better, is that, is he part of the kingdom of God? We'll, we'll find out. Only the king's word supplies the content of our father's will. And that's what we talk about from the scriptures. And only those led by his Holy Spirit to subject themselves to God's word are loyal to the king of his kingdom. He's our king, but he's also our elder brother. He also calls us, refers to us as his brethren. This is all about family. Don't think of this in the sense sense of the structures of human government. Uh, God is father. Jesus Christ, his son, is also king. But we will be the kings and priests that work at his side as family. The connection there is much deeper than some structural design. So first and foremost, God's kingdom has a king, and it is Jesus the Christ. Secondly, God's kingdom has laws. One cannot submit to the rule of a king while rejecting the rule of the king's laws. Look at 2 Thessalonians here. 2 Thessalonians 1, Now we'll read verses 3 through 8. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. Paul writes, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your uh, persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Quite often, uh, in a peace time, at a time of no trials and no stress, uh, when everybody is calm, you don't, you're not really tested from the standpoint of seeing or recognizing the Spirit of God within us. It's at times of trials and difficulty, whether it's personal to members having a disagreement or persecution from the outside, that you see the character come out. I, I won't get to this until after we get through the, these uh, 14 different mysteries, but I want to give a message on how uh, ease can be really destructive and a pursuit of ease. Uh, because really, we're not here to take it easy. I mean, we have, we have signed up for a training camp led by Jesus Christ to make sure that we are qualified and ready to serve Him at His side when He returns. And it's not going to be easy. And this mindset of of looking for ease can often take us off that path. Verse five, um, talking about the uh, their patience and faith through all their persecutions and tri- tribulations, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulations those who trouble you, and to give you uh, who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is to be obeyed, especially with those who call Christ king and are serving within his kingdom. Look at 1 Peter 4 here. Peter says something very similar. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial But let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify in God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if he begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Jesus taught the gospel of God, which is obeyed by all in his kingdom. In John fourteen and verse fifteen, you can just write this down, John fourteen fifteen, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you want to know who loves Jesus Christ, who serves him as the King of the kingdom, just ask yourself, are they keeping God's commandments? Am I keeping God's commandments? Luke six and verse forty six Luke 6, 46, he says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? When we disregard the words and the commandments of the king and his law, we reject the sovereign authority of his kingship over us, his rule over us. Are we accepting him as king at that point? Are we accepting his law, the law of his kingdom? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 here. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, we'll read verse 19. Paul writing to Timothy here. I'll just take this out of the context. I think that we understand this concept of enduring hardship. But there should be a result of this, uh, a curing uh, that that work takes of overcoming that, but holding to what we are obligated to do with respect to his laws. Verse 19 of 2 Timothy 2. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. This is for those who are looking for solid, stable footing in the midst of persecution. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, sin, depart from the violation of God's laws. This will be very, very important for those who consider themselves subjects to the king of the kingdom. This law is very, very important. Christ's way of righteousness is defined by his law, and it's a way we need to learn to walk. Those who acknowledge Jesus as king, while living contrary to the laws of his kingdom, do not understand that the Logos comes in flesh to enable the power of God within us to overcome sinfulness, lawlessness, sinful flesh. Our flesh is sinful by nature. We do not understand why Christ, the Logos, had to come in flesh, and in our flesh now we don't understand that at all. And there's no connecting point between us and the king. As soon as we violate the law or disregard it in any way, or don't seek his forgiveness through repentance and reconciliation by confessing our sin to him, we don't get that. We don't have that connection. We're not part of that kingdom. When we accept his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, it opens the gates of his kingdom to all who confess to him. Um, and they do so with, with behavior reflective of his kingdom law. It's how we are supposed to be striving to live. We won't keep it perfectly. That's not the point. We're flesh. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to need forgiveness. It's designed into the plan. But it is an aspiration. And as soon as we give up on the law, we give up on the aspiration to be part of the very family of God. Many today profess Jesus as king, but do not confess the righteousness of those who understand this mystery. I'll just refer to the scripture against First uh, John 3, uh, 24 through 1 John 4 and verse 3, that describes the difference between those who are truly Christ and those who are anti-Christ. christ um, just I would read that again on your own. We've gone through that in some detail. Those are the laws of the kingdom, and they're respected by everyone who considers themselves part of the family, the kingdom of God. Uh, the third aspect is territory. A king rules within his sovereign borders. Now, we always apply this to the earth, and that's absolutely true, but... It actually is broader than this. It's bigger than this. In the territory, because he's a spiritual king ruling in spirit and truth, there's a spiritual definition of his territory as well. Um, the English word kingdom is a condensation of the term king's domain or the king's dominion. Uh, it's re- referencing a region or territory that a king rules. Now, God made all things through the Logos who became Jesus the Christ. We read that in Hebrews 1. Um, But he also gave dominion over the earth to humanity. That's Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. And he did not take this away after they chose their own way apart from him. It's clearly part of the plan. Now, God's kingdom must be brought to this earth, but this will be worked out through that plan before that happens. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, as we read in Matthew 7, or I should say John 17, 1 through 3, Um, At Jesus' uh, sinless death and subsequent resurrection, all authority was given to him over all things, not just the the physical universe, not just humanity itself, but also to all the spiritual universe. Uh, But the kingdoms of men, at least for now, do not yet operate in deference to his rule. They will. They will. And as as disheartened as any of us may be at what's happening in the world today or our country we should see and recognize, always recognize that eventually every human being will bow before Jesus the Christ is King. Let's go to Philippians 2 here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians 2 and verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth. And of those under the earth. If you were wondering if there are knees in heaven, there's your answer. Uh, uh, Verse 11, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything he did, he did to glorify the Father. Christ will allow humanity's rebellion for now until the time of his return, when all the earth will be made subject to his rule. But for now... Only a select few are being trained as loyal kings and priests to serve him in his rule at his side. That's a Revelation 5. I'm sure many of you know that, but let's go there and read that. I think it's very important. A very small verse, but a very important verse. Revelations 5, uh, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. This is the, the heavenly host is singing this song. If you look in your margins, you'll see some references to uh, the first person, us, or we. It can also be translated in the Greek here uh, in the third person referring to somebody else. Or I should say second person referring to somebody else. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us uh, or uh, them to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us or uh, we... Or them, I should say, kings and priests to our God, and we or they shall reign on the earth. So this here is a group referring to referred to by the host of heaven, uh, describing them as kings and priests. That's what we that's what we always refer to when we describe what we're learning to be kings and priests. Sabbath services, the Church of God is a school for kings and priests. That's what we do. Unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth. This is not about this is not about going to heaven at the end, or or a a fake interpretation of the concept of hell. That you actually have individuals who believe Jesus Christ is is their king and is God, that God is loving, caring, and giving and forgiving and so on, merciful, but that he he will allow people to be condemned in this age because they never heard the name of Jesus Christ. To hellfire that they would burn in forever. It's not the, that's not the penalty for sin. Romans three tells us really clearly that the penalty of sin is death, not eternity in pain and in fire. Yet these individuals call Christ King. I, I'm not trying to, again. Whenever we talk about concepts like this, it sounds like we're putting others down. We are not. They they don't know. They can't be expected to know. This has nothing to do with our, our privilege. It has to do with our responsibility. God doesn't assign rights like our Declaration of Independence or Constitution or Bill of Rights or any of the amendments. He assigns responsibilities. We have a responsibility to respond to this. Respond, responsibility. They, they don't. So don't put them down. We're going to be working with them, helping them. And, and serving them even in this age. But our first responsibility is to Jesus Christ and to train to serve at his side. Kings and priests to rule at his side. Look at the John 18 here. This is a conversation. You'll no, no doubt we'll be studying this or reading through this as we approach the Passover. John 18, verses 33 through 36, is a, a discussion between Pilate and Christ uh, Jesus Uh, that I I just find uh, politically uh, charged uh, and intriguing to see all the subtleties here, the differences between these two rulers. Uh, Apart from all of the drama that the Jews were were heaping up, he's truly trying to understand what laws this individual has violated, how he stands in opposition to to, uh, Caesar and Rome and so on, and he's not seeing it, uh, verses 33 through 36 of John 18 is what I'd like to read here. Uh, he had already gone out to the Jews and asked them what they had done. And he comes back into the praetorium. He says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Really interesting response. Is this just something you've heard of, or are you you recognizing this? Are you seeing and understanding this? It it looked like he was uh, ready for a deeper conversation, even as he was being tried for his life. Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? There there is uh, Christ's response. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me, but uh, but what have you done? So now, He's not hes not being inspired by the Spirit of God to see what's going on here, but he's speaking from the perspective of a ruler of law, a representative of a nation and a kingdom on the earth. Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus said, You say rightly that I am a king for this cause i was born and for this uh, for this cause i have come into the world that i should bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth hears my voice or calls him king hears my voice what is he here to do what did he come to do to bear witness to the truth which is the foundation of his kingdom and by the way is the pillar and foundation of the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Pilate said to him, verse 838, What is what is truth? Again, he, he he can't go that deep into the conversation. He doesn't have the ability to do that. That's a discussion that's deeply embedded in spirit in principle, and principle and deeper understanding than Pilate, uh, potentially just a sheriff here, could go. Pilate said to him, what is the truth? And when he had said this, he went out to the Jews and said to them, to, said to them I find no fault in him at all. So we, we know where this goes after this. I just just think that that discussion is fascinating. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world or of this age or of this physical uh, existence in, in a temporary state. Um he, his rule is a spiritual rule. So when we look at his territory, it's got to be broader than just this planet. This may be the only place in the physical universe where the kingdom of God is not the kingdom at all, where it is, there's no rule, there's no jurisdiction here. Why? Because the people that live on this planet have thrown off that jurisdiction and and uh, chosen not to acknowledge his territory not just the planet we should go deeper to understand this that christ rules all things in all things in spirit and in truth we can recognize that from scripture the territory then or the jurisdiction of his kingdom includes all things physical but extends well beyond that we can read of this in romans 14 i'll just give you this reference romans 14. Seven through eleven, he's king of God's kingdom. Well, what does that include spiritually? John four, verses twenty through twenty four, that reference to ruling all things in spirit and in truth has to be a rule abiding within those who see from the perspective of spirit, who see from the perspective of the truth and want both. He rules that, that, that plane, a spiritual existence. And he rules anyone who wants to live within his territory. That is his jurisdiction, the very heart of his subjects. The kingdom of God is spiritual, and his subjects will be also. That's the territory or jurisdiction aspect of his kingdom. Lastly, subjects. A kingdom has subjects. As a king, has laws, has a territory or jurisdiction, and has subjects. For now, the that jurisdiction is limited uh, by God it, for his plan, for his people on this earth. There has to be this time of development, growth, understanding. And there are borders that he is allowing to be set up that will eventually be taken down. Walls that will prevent people, that prevent them now from knowing him but won't after Christ returns. We talk about the feast every year. Subjects. A kingdom's citizens are loyal to their king. They honor their king by keeping the laws and respecting the boundaries of his kingdom and hearing and respecting his words. All works together as one, especially within the very family of God, which is his kingdom ultimately. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 here. There's a certain mindset, a certain way of living within the family of God, or you could say within the, the, the rule of God, not that not a rule that God uses to manipulate others or force his ideas on them or uh, you know locks them into so they have no free will. Why would He give us free will if He didn't want us to exercise it? He wants us to exercise it rightly by the standards by which He and the Logos have lived uh, in forever. Um, this is what we need to learn. It's described here in Colossians one. We'll read verses thirteen through eighteen. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, this is God, and conveyed uh, us into the kingdom, the rule of, the governance of the Son of his love. That's beautiful phrasing, and you can't just blow by that. I mean, if you're speed reading through the Bible, this is one of those verses that you just have to take time on and extract what he's talking about. This is a kingdom of the Son of his love. It is a rule by which they live, by which each of them rules themselves. And those being brought into his family will learn how to do that by that very same rule. They will choose it with their own free moral agency. Verse 14, and whom we have redemption through his blood, or in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, Christ, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This reference to being the head of the body describes the unity that is within his kingdom and those who are subject to him. Subjects within his kingdom. All things work in order under the head. The head controls everything within the body and every individual element of the body. doesn't matter if you're a finger or a toe or an eye or an ear. The brain controls it all. The head controls it all. We don't assign where we are in the body. He assigns us. And we need to work in unity with one another as one body. It describes a beautiful unity that most of professing Christianity just uh, uh, doesn't get and that we often struggle with. Christ is the perfect and only king because he is not subject to the pulls of human nature. let us uh, I'd re- like to read here from Barnes Notes. Um, a couple of quotes here, we'll read them uh, apart from one another. Uh, quote, uh, this reference to, in Colossians 1, they who are Christians have been transferred from one kingdom to another. Keep that in mind as you uh, become depressed over what's happening to our country. If you're as patriotic as I am, it's difficult to see what's happening uh, to our nature. But this just encourages us more to recognize we've been transferred from one kingdom to another, from the kingdom that exists now to the kingdom that is coming, at our Savior's return. As if a people, going back to Barnes quotes, I'll start again. They who are Christians have been transferred from one kingdom to another. As if a people were thus removed. They become subjects of a new kingdom, uh, are under different laws, and belong to a different community. This change is made in regeneration by which we pass from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From the empire of sin, ignorance, and misery to one of holiness, knowledge, Happiness. No change, therefore, in a man's life is so important as this, and no words can suitably express the gratitude which they should feel who are thus transferred from the empire of darkness to that of light. Um, this is explained very well by uh, the writer of Hebrews in a description of the priesthood of Melchizedek, um, where a very profound statement is made. It's Hebrews uh, chapter 7 and verse 16. Uh, where the writer describes Christ in his former and a forever priesthood of Melchizedek and by that he rules by the authority and capability of an everlasting existence no beginning no end and that he extends this existence or he will extend it to those who are his subjects to their very hearts if their very hearts are engaged In their king and his teaching. Let's go to Colossians 3 here now. Read verses 12 through 17. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, this is the lifestyle we're supposed to be living now, and reflect uh, as a reflection of our lifestyle in the kingdom of God. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. This uh, this lifestyle may be something that we all struggle with. Remember, we were called out of the dregs of the earth. We're not very wise, not very mighty, not very very strong. But this is our aspiration and we have it largely because we have faith in the one who called us to this. Philippians 1 6, he will complete what he began in us. Verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is about, this is what a subject under uh, the kingdom of God, with Christ as king and living by his laws and within his territory, within his reign. This is is what we live for. This is our deepest aspiration. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Now, it doesn't say, let the peace of God dominate your thinking, control you, which I've heard from many commentaries and many people just off the cuff saying that. You deny holy righteous character, the opportunity for it, if you deny you have free moral agency and the ability to choose it. That's why he won't take it away. We have to let his peace rule us. Within, we have to choose that. And all those that we will teach after Christ's return, and even those that are assigned to teach now, will remember that. Never, never take away or disrespect anybody's free moral agency. We just don't do that. Um, verse 16, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, teaching with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When I speak of special music and the, the, the purpose of music at God's Sabbath service, it's always got to be toward God in our hearts. It, it, it's, it has to be directed toward him, even though we share it with one another. And it has its effect that way as well. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The territory of God's kingdom extends to the hearts of his children, not to dominate or subjugate, but to bless with peace and consistency within objective, eternal morality. That's where God's peace comes from. That's where his stability comes from and that's what fills us when we are subjects in his kingdom where our, our whole focus is learning, developing, becoming objective, eternal and moral from God's perspective, not humans. Barnes notes on this section says this quote the word here in verse 15 rendered rule is the Greek word uh, bra- brabuo, brabuo is commonly used in reference to the Olympic and other games. It means to be a director or arbiter of the public games, uh, to preside over them and preserve order, and to distribute the prizes to the victors. The, the meaning here is that the peace which God gives to the soul or to the life is to be to us what the that were the governor at the games, based on the same word, was to those who contended there. It is to preside over and govern the mind, to preserve everything in its place, and to save it from tumult, disorder, and irregularity. This is a, and this is not something that is just housed in one individual, because it's spiritual, it is shared. It is the same Spirit of God each of us share in, and it brings us the same peace one to another. Look at Ephesians 4 here. Remember, we talked about origins earlier. Well, this is our shared origin. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There was one body and one spirit. Notice this. Anything, anyone who considers himself a subject within the territory of God or his jurisdiction, who honors his laws and sees him truly as king, can say this. is part of the group that's about to be described here. Those who don't do any of those do not, no matter what they say. Uh, Go back to verse 4 again. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. This is our origin. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is in reference to how we live now, immersed in our Savior. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you. All and you all. Having one king, his subjects are also one. It's a connection that we feel with one another, a connection of family based upon Christ as king, his rule of law, his uh, territory or jurisdiction, and our shared unity as his subjects. Each one of us shares the same origin, the same spirit, and the same destiny. The king here is our only intercessor. That's all throughout the book of Hebrews. He's the only mediator between his mortal subjects and God Most High. So we are all unified in Christ. We are subject to the king's every word. Why? Every word. He told us we should, we're supposed to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's Matthew 4. It's Deuteronomy 8. Why? Romans 8, 7. Romans 8, 7, Because the carnal mind, or the fleshly mind, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. We shouldn't expect anyone who's not being led by God's Spirit, who hasn't been called and elected to be put into the body, who hasn't gone through the processes of repentance, faith, immersion, and baptism, and been given the gift of the Spirit of God. We should not expect that any of them can be subject to the law of God or the king of his kingdom or that his jurisdiction extends to him because it's extended by God the Father. We shouldn't expect from them the same things we should expect of ourselves as a subject to the king of the kingdom. Those in whom God's spirit dwells can and will be subject to the king of God's kingdom. Others just can't. That's why we're called subjects because we are subject to him. Brethren, the preeminence of the king of God's kingdom extends well beyond his title. In name only, there are a number who would call Christ king. But they cannot understand what that means uh, if they're not led by God's spirit to understand it. The preeminence of the king of God's kingdom extends well beyond his title. But this is only understood by those to whom it has been given. Many uh, may profess Christ as king, but when they ignore the tenets of his law, when they reject the full extent of his jurisdiction, right down to their very hearts, when they fail to model the behavior expected of his subjects, they reveal that the gospel of the kingdom of God is still a mystery to them. Let it not be to us.